One of my brothers has found a church home here and uh, that you've embraced him. His wife's here this morning. She works all the time and hadn't got to be here. I don't think Is this your first time out here, second time. And uh, just a thrill to see him down here on the front row. Jackie, when I walked in, Jackie said, your brother's here. I went, I, I didn't see him back there anywhere because this guy doesn't sit on the front row. <laughs> Praise God. God is good. Oh, he's so good. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Lord Jesus, we, we're, we're so full this morning, Lord. We're so, we got such a little bucket and you've poured so much into it. Our cup runneth over. Lord, you are so gracious to us. The greatest, the holy, uh, in pursuit of the vile for reconciliation. It's just, it's just more than we can fully embrace. And we embrace all that we know of it, but Lord, it's bigger than our embracer. We just praise you today, Lord that You are revealing Yourself to us more and more, and that You are loving us in, in spite of who we are and what we bring to You, and that you, You're not ashamed to be our elder brother, and You're not ashamed to represent us there at that throne of majesty on high. And we're grateful this morning, Lord. We ask You to teach us this morning by the Holy Ghost, by the word of the Lord, exalt, may you be exalted until men are drawn to you this, in this place this morning, Lord. I ask you for that unction uh, from on high. And I ask you that we might hear, have ears to hear, hearts to receive, fertile soil in our hearts, that this word, this seed might bring forth that which is a blessing to you, Lord. Oh, that you might have the desire of your heart among us. Oh, Lord, that your intention might be fully realized in this place. Oh, God, that you could be made glad today, Lord, that we could leave here having blessed you. Hallelujah. Praise God. Amen and amen. Thank you, Jesus. We're going to read uh, several portions of Scripture, if you'll begin with me in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, then we're going to go to Romans 3, 28. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 7, For we walk by faith, not by sight. We walk by faith, not by sight. Would you read that with me? For we walk by faith, not by sight. I'm not sure how many times you can find that in the New Testament. Four, maybe five. Find it once in the Old Testament in the book of Habakkuk. But we walk by faith, not by sight. We could say we... The just, in Hebrews it says, the just walk by faith, not by sight. 
We could say the just walk by fact and not by feeling. We walk by fact and not by feeling. In Romans uh, chapter 3, verse 28, and uh, this would be my... uh, Dave said something about the profession of Christianity of the president, and this would be my response to that. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law and a verse of Scripture that every carnal Christian loves. And yet it is sacred and it is precious. But it has implications. We conclude that a man is justified by faith. The just shall walk by faith and not by sight. We conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. But any thinking man, you can teach this to a third grader, knows that you're not justified by faith without the deeds of faith. Romans 6, verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? One version says, Such ones as we who died to sin, how shall we any longer be living in it? Romans chapter 7, beginning with verse 18. For I know that in me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. Now the flesh is the residence of the feeling. The mind is the, is the resident of the will. In my flesh... There's nothing reliable. In my feelings, there's nothing reliable. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. And you could add to that and say, and you never will. No, you cannot perfect Adam. Can't do it. And uh, and God, that's why God is not after performance. He just wants a place to live, just a habitation. For the good that I would, I do not, but the evil which I would not, that I do. Now, if I do that, I would not. It is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man. But I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. And and now we're not talking about a bad self. We're talking about a good self here. Because the the law, this, this man loved the law, this man in... Romans 7, but O wretched man that I am, says every performance-oriented man, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from from the body of this death? 
I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. Now, Romans 8, 1. Therefore, there, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. That's just another way of saying, in Christ Jesus, there's none of that stuff we just came through. Because that is all condemnation. Who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Read that with me. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. That works for men, women, old people, young people, Eskimos, Latin Americans, Africans, everybody. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. Operate on feelings? Forget it. I'll preach. <laughs> but... <laughs> But you cannot, you can, he picks on me all the time. But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of Him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, He that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by His Spirit that dwelleth in you. That mortal body just has to come into line with the dominating Spirit. You know, a lot of people, I hear this a lot, you have too, you know, well, the... How you doing? Well, the, the flesh, the spirit's willing, but the flesh is weak. And that's supposed to be a reasonable excuse. But the verse is saying the, the flesh is weak, the spirit's strong. See? Flesh is weak, yes, but the spirit is strong. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh. To live after the flesh. For if we live after the flesh, if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. You know, whether you're Pentecostal or Baptist or Nazarene or Methodist, 
If you live after the flesh, you will die. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. And that, that is not a, a reference to daily crucifixion. Because we were one time crucified with Christ. And we'll get into that more. I just want you to know that. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. 1 Peter 3.18 For Christ also hath once suffered for sins. the just for the unjust, that He might bring us to God. See, that the purpose for that cross is not complete until you have been brought to God. Brought out to be brought in. Where He's at. Not the old, he's not on the old rugged cross. He's not on the Sea of Galilee feeding the multitude, walking on the water. He's in heaven. He's at the right hand of majesty on high in the power of an endless life. And my life is there with Him. Hmm. Chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. For as much then as Christ hath suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind, for he that hath suffered in the flesh hath ceased from sin, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh to the lust of men, but to the will of God. Romans 10. Verse 13. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? How shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? How shall they hear without a preacher? How shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Elias said, Lord, who hath believed our report? So then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. John chapter 8. Beginning with verse 31. Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, If ye continue in my word, 
Then are ye my disciples indeed, and ye who continue in my word shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. They answered him, We be the we be Abraham's seed, and were never in bondage to any man. How sayest thou, ye shall be made free? Jesus answered them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin. Now, the way, the way they got into this shape is they were, not, they were never willing to adjust their theology to truth. And we all need to be willing to do that. Theology is what I know about what there is to know about God. And next year I ought to know more, which will require an adjustment in what I already had nailed down. See? Truth is what we're after. We're not, we don't want to ever get hemmed in by our theology. And yes, there are absolutes, and there are things about that theology that will never change. There are also everything about that theology that will ever expand and ever enlarge and ever become more glorious. And, and, and we shall know the truth, and the truth will make us free. Jesus said... I say unto you, whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin. And the servant abideth not in the house forever, but the son abideth forever. And if the son, therefore, see, there were serv- there's servants, and, and the servant does not have the authority to set you free. All a servant can give you is a theology. All a servant can give you is a servant's understanding. But he's just a servant. There's a difference in a servant and a son. The son has has authority. The son is the truth, not a theology. And the son can make you free. If the son, therefore, shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. Galatians 5, stand fast therefore in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Now, if somebody will light up that uh, transparency, thank you, and uh, I'll just put this on transparency uh, because that's what we're going to be talking about right there. God's order is fact, faith, and feeling. I'm so glad God didn't eliminate feeling just because it's unreliable, just because it's not a good leader. It's a wonderful thing to have feeling and to to just get overwhelmed at times. But God's order is fact, faith, and feeling. Man's order is feeling, faith, and fact. Faith, 
based on fact equals freedom. Faith based on feelings equals bondage. The just shall walk by fact and not by feeling. Fact is God's order. God, I think we said this last time, but God is the one fact. He is the one fact. Everything else has to relate properly to that fact and will. Want to or not? You cannot believe it won't change anything. Got to relate to that fact. In the beginning, God. Fact, faith, and feeling puts you in John, in Romans 6. Free from sin. How free? Look at Romans 6. Verse Eighteen. Being then made free from sin, you became servants of righteousness. How free from sin? Verse 20. For when you were servants of sin, you were free from righteousness. However free a servant of sin is from righteousness is how free a servant of righteousness is from sin. When you were the servant of sin, you did not have to struggle against righteousness to not be righteous. And and the grammar's the same and the Structure's the same, and the truth is the same. So fact, leading the way, reckoning on it, not giving a place to anything that contradicts it, which, which in, in the majority of the time comes out of feeling. Feeling is always contradicting fact. And when we operate in fact, in opposition to our feelings, our theology calls us a hypocrite. And we're not, not any of us comfortable with that term hypocrite. We'll cover that in a minute. Fact, faith, and feeling results in freedom to be spiritually minded is life. Feeling Put you in Romans 7. That's the guy in Romans 7. The guy that operates on feeling. Never measures up. Never does enough. Uh, never approved. Because it's all performance oriented. And the, the problem in Romans 7 is not the works of the flesh. And, and I think all my life I was taught that. 
That's a big problem in Romans 7. The works of the flesh, that's just the way we are. That's just, that's just the reality. That's just what we're like. And that is the works of the flesh, and there's nothing you can do about it, and you're going to be dealing with it the rest of your life. But the problem in Romans 7 is the will of the flesh, not the works of the flesh. You take care of the will of the flesh, you get him in line with fact, and the works of the flesh will die from neglect. Not effort. Just be smothered by the truth. Colossians chapter 3. Well, I had such a sense preparing to come here of the, the desire of the Holy Spirit to teach us this morning. If ye then be risen with Christ, and we are, yes, we are, we're risen with Christ. I died with Him at the cross. Nothing more scriptural than that. Nothing easier to prove than that. I was crucified with Him. I am crucified with Him. There's only, there's only one man was raised from the dead, and that was Christ. Adam is still in the grave. The man that the cross judged is still judged. He's still there. Only one man got raised, and that's Christ. I'm raised in Him. Risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. That is, oh, that's a powerful thing right there. Your life is there. Your citizenship is there. Your affections are there. Everything is there except our body. Our body is here. So while we're here, we're living like we're going to live there. And so it brings us into opposition to everything that surrounds us because everything that surrounds us is in opposition to Him. Set your affection on things above, not on things of the earth. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ who is our life shall appear, then shall ye also appear with Him in glory. Mortify, therefore, your members which are upon the earth. And then it lists these uh, the works of the flesh. Okay, now, we're dead in verse 2, verse 3. And then we've got to mortify in verse 5. And if, if we're dead in verse 3, how come we've got to mortify in verse 5? Uh, treat 
therefore as dead your members which are upon the earth. In Romans 6 it says, Reckon therefore yourself indeed dead to sin. See, You don't reckon it until it's true. You just reckon it because it is true. It's fact. And you've got to bring feeling in line with fact. And as seeing is... Uh, let me say, as sight, as sight is seeing, faith is believing. Faith is not a, uh, an, uh, a pinnacle to reach. It's just believing. Believing before feeling. Believing on the basis of fact. Mortify. Acting according to the fact. Isn't that a good definition? Acting according to the fact. Treating my members like they're dead. The word in Greek, if you're a Greek student, uh, T-H-A-N-A-T-O-O. Thanatu, I guess. And it means the like the lifelessness of that which the life from which the life has been taken away. The lifelessness of that from which the life has been taken away. Our Aunt Mary died. It was my job to I was taking care of her. I took her to the funeral home. I took her to a mortician. He didn't kill her. He just treated her like she was dead. See that? For you're dead. And your life is hid with Christ in God. Fact. Don't feel dead. We're not talking about feelings. We're talking about fact. Faith follows fact. That's the faith that makes us free. Follows fact. The faith that walks in truth follows fact. The faith that follows feeling is never stable, never trustworthy, never victorious. Always produces bondage. Faith. Oh, they ought to have half of the people in here knows a good definition of faith. Brian, what is faith? Okay. See that? Darren, what's faith? Okay. That, you know where we all learn this. <laughs> From the general. The general says, faith is an action based upon a belief supported by continued action that what God said He will do. He will do. <laughs> and my heart says, yes, when I hear those truths. Well, I've done a number on that one. Faith and action 
based upon fact and supported by continued action in spite of feeling in agreement with fact. Life is a continual test of my attitude towards facts. Yeah. Because I'm such a creature of feeling. I'm in this flesh. But there's one who is sovereign, who is over all, who never had a first day, who is uncreated, the uncreated cause of all that is, who is Himself holy and just and good and merciful and gracious and cordial and kind-hearted and tender-hearted and pities us like a father pities his children. And the holy pursued the vile. And the sinless laid down his life for the sinful and made reconciliation possible. The death of Jesus made reconciliation possible. We, therefore, by faith can be justified and have peace with God. He did it all He brought it to our attention. He gave us receivers for it. He gave us faith to believe it. He gave us faith to receive the gift of grace. He did it all. And He is the fact. And, and, And everything, I don't know you, really, you know, hard to really know a person. And, uh, but I know this about you. I mean, I could, I could talk intimately to each one along this line. I don't know what your, uh, how, how, how you would describe your situation or, or, or how it differs from what I'm used to or But I know that everything that happens in your life is to test your attitude towards the facts that God has revealed. Everything. Test my attitude towards the person of God, the promises of God, and the provisions of God. That's the story of the children of Israel. That's the story of coming out of Egypt. That's the story of the wilderness wanderings. That's the story of them not going in when God told them to go in. They had a bad attitude toward the fact. And they had a lot of faith in what they saw. And in 40 years of being tested, their attitude towards the fact. And that first generation died in the wilderness and never entered in because they were stuck with their theology. They would not bring their theology in subjection to truth. Though God showed them a cloud by day, a pillar of fire by night, stood the waters up like a wall, fed a manna in the wilderness, brought water out of a rock, on and on and on. They always brought all of that in subjection to their feelings. 
God's person. What's your attitude? What's my attitude towards God Himself? In the beginning, God. God is love. You know, He didn't try to explain that, did He? He didn't. He just says, in the beginning, God. That's the fact. Get that in place. Won't have a problem with anything else in the book. In the beginning, God. God is the fact. God, the fact of God, is the object of faith. My, my attitude towards God's promises will depend on my attitude towards the promiser. My patience for the provision is going to depend upon my attitude toward the promise, which depends upon my attitude toward the promiser. Faith relates to the promiser. Hope relates to the thing promised. And the church is riddled full of people who are clinging to a hope with a bad attitude toward the promise because they don't trust the promiser. And their hope is scriptural, but it's false hope. They give you verse and chapter for their hope, but because of their attitude towards the promiser, their hope is false hope. Because that hope is only for those who... Love the promiser. What's my attitude towards God's person? In the beginning, God. What's my attitude toward God's promises? Second Corinthians one verse seventeen. Start after that first sentence, that first question. He says, Things that I purpose, do I purpose according to the flesh? That with me there should be yea, yea, and nay, nay. Which is always what happens when you purpose according to the flesh, when you teach truth according to the flesh, when you learn truth according to the flesh. It's always yay, yay, and nay, nay. It's, it's, it's yes when it might mean no. Because it's always conditional on your environment. Or how many days old you were when your daddy first hit you. And stuff like that. You know. That's according to the flesh. It's not... It's your problem, but it's not your fault. That's, that's according to the flesh. But as God is true, we're talking about our attitude towards the promises. As God is true, our word toward you was not yea and nay. Our word toward you, because we operated from fact, was not a yes that might mean no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, even by me and Silvanus and Timotheus, was not 
Yes and no, but in Him was yes. Because it's a fact. I, I don't fully comprehend God, of course. Even the colossal intellect of Paul could not say that he fully understood. In fact, he got so far and exalted into understanding that God humbled him to keep him from error of ego. But, but even if all we know is a drop of this ocean, this infinite ocean of God, that one drop is a fact. And everything that we do and every thought we think has to come into subjection with that one drop of truth. And, but my feelings compared to that one drop of truth would fill a lake. That's what made Moses. That's what made God call Moses the meekest man in the, in the world. The meekest man ever lived was Moses. He didn't know everything about God. But what he did know about God caused him to stand one man against three million Jews. Any preacher can tell you that it's, it's, it's not fun, it's not easy to withstand two or three, four hundred people, three thousand people. I was in a conference one, one day, kind of just, I don't know if I should have been there or not, but I was curious. Uh, you know, and here's the testimony of curiosity. Well, you know, I didn't really think that was of the Lord, but I went there and I said, God, I don't want to call anything unclean you call clean. Lord, I don't want to withstand you. And that's the first step. Curiosity is the first step to deception in these kind of circles. Don't go unless God told you to. You get a lot more that He wants to give you in the prayer closet. Just being quiet. But there was 3,000 people there. And he, and he had everybody stand. And the way the auditorium was sectioned off, I was kind of in a section like this over here, you know, it was smaller than the others. And all of a sudden, that was the section that he saw things coming down out of heaven on. And he had everybody else sit down. This section was standing. Oh, my heart. And I did. I said, Lord, Lord Jesus, Lord, I don't want to resist you. Lord Jesus, I just kept, boy, did I focus. Oh, my affections were set on things above. My citizenship was in heaven. I forgot about everybody around me. I forgot about who was preaching. I forgot about all that nonsense he was saying. My, I, ooh, I saw him. My Christ, 
that bore scars yet in his hands for my salvation, for my redemption. I looked upon him. And after all this stuff that he described was happening, happening, I peeked my eyes open. I was the only one standing. 3,000 people were on the floor. That's, that's hard. If I'd been operating in flesh, it'd been impossible. I'd have been down there with them. But I stood on one fact. And Moses knew something about God, and he never acted in, in a contrary way to what he knew about God, even though everybody else said, we're going north. If God had already told him we're going south, he says, no, we're not going north. We're going south. One man, one man took the whole crowd his way because he operated on fact. And not on feeling. What's my attitude toward the promises of God that are yes in Christ? Yes in Christ. What God says about the finished work of Christ in Romans 6 is yes. What God says about the work of Christ in Colossians 3 is yes. What He says in 1 Peter 3 is yes. How many believe 1 Timothy 4, 3? How many believe that? How many believe that? You believe that? Here's the lady that believes 1 Timothy 4, 3. You say, I don't know what's in there. Well, it's God's Word. How many believe 1 Timothy 4, 3? <laughs> see, see we, had to, we had to let sight get a hold of that for we passed it through our filters as to whether we could let that in or not. We forgot a fact that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for reproof and instruction in righteousness. And if it's in there, and if it's got a chapter and a verse, I believe it. I was the pastor when that question was asked in our church, and I failed the test. I spoke up, even, on tape. I said, well, what does it say? He said, what difference does it make? It's God's Word. I said, ugh. <laughs> Attitude towards God. Attitude towards God. Attitude towards God. A right attitude towards God. You will never fall. They can put pressure on you at work. Your life is hid with Christ in God. You might grieve over what's going on. And they're not understanding. And all that. But they can't turn you from the fact. No. Oh, God calls you into a walk of faith away from everything that's secure, away from everything that you know, away from every uh, way that you know how to provide for your family. And He calls you into a walk of faith. Your attitude towards that is going to depend on your attitude towards the One that calls you. Attitude towards His promises. We read that in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Attitude towards God's provisions. 
Look at this. One of my favorite verses. Numbers 23, verse 19. It's over in the white pages. Numbers twenty three nineteen. God is. Oh, that's enough right there. I went down to preach one of the school of Christ graduations in Hyene, Peru. Large class, fifty seven graduates. And and you know, every culture has their customs. And uh Every time the Word of God was read, everybody stood. Nobody had to be asked. Well, just everybody stood. And they opened that book and they read and they stand until they're through reading. And then, amen, and then they sit down. And God had put something fresh in my heart that, that night before for that service. And I was, I was exploding with this. And I said, turn, we're going to read our text is Hebrews Chapter 1, verse 1. Start with Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. And they all stood, and they all the pages rattled. And I said, and you know the, the verse that says, God, who at sundry times and divers manners spake unto our fathers times past by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his son. I got him over. I said, God! You may be seated. They, they didn't know what to do. But that was the text. God. God is not a man. I told Pastor, I love to come to this church just to hear the announcements. And, and I always learned something. And I gave Brother Dave a card... Down in Beaumont, it says, there are two foundational facts in life. One, there is a God. Two, you are not Him. <laughs> so here it is. God is not a man. God is other. He is other. Jehovah Witnesses say Jesus was just a created being. Uh, they'll give him the rank of the archangels. But oh, they love to talk about Jehovah. Well, is Jehovah the same yesterday, today, and forever? Yes, they'll say. But Jesus, of Jesus it was said, This day have I begotten thee. He had a beginning. He was created. He's the only begotten Son of God. Okay, Jehovah, those the same yesterday, today, and forever. Oh, yes. But if Jesus is the begotter, and Jehovah is the Father of the begotter, then the Father is, I'm sorry, of the begotten. Jesus is the begotten. Jehovah is the Father of the begotten. Then, for there to be a begotten, there has to be a begotter. Yes. And He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So He's always been 
the begotor. Which means there's always been a begotten. Because you can't have a begotor without a begotten. See? So as long as there's been a begotor, there's been a begotten. How long has there been a begotor? We, we don't know how to answer that. It just, it just, he was already there when it started. See? God is not a man. We're talking about our attitude toward God's provisions. Attitude towards God's person. Attitude towards God's promises. Attitude towards God's provisions. God is not a man that he should lie. Neither the son of man that he should repent. Hath he said, and shall he not do it? Hath he spoken, and shall he not make it good? Who is he? Jehovah Jireh. He sees, and he comes down. He sees, and he intervenes. He sees, and he acts. Not on the basis of the merit of the one to whom he acts toward but for His own name's sake. Israel, you have reproached Me among the heathen. Israel, you have made My name odious among the people, the nations of the earth. But I'm going to give you a clean heart. I'm going to wash you in waters of redemption. I'm going to... Change your heart from a heart of stone to a heart of flesh. I'm going to bring you back to your land. I'm going to give you houses to live in that you didn't build. I'm going to give you fruit to eat that you didn't plant the trees. You're going to eat corn that you didn't plant the crops. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. But not for you. I'm doing it for my name's sake. If I did... For you, what you deserve. You know, it's like I heard a story about a, a man driving a team of horses, pulling this wagon, and he's it comes along, and there's a man walking along the road. I think this is in Hannah Whitehall Smith's Secrets of a Happy Christian Life. I'm not sure about that, but uh, and he says. Uh, this man walking along carrying this big load on his back. And the man in the wagon said, want a ride? He said, oh, thank you so much. And he laboriously climbs up there in the seat next to the man driving the team. And he sits down. The guy takes off, you know, and they're going along. This guy's sitting there with this thing on his back. And the wagon was empty guy thought, well, you know, he'll set it down in a minute. Two miles down the road, you know, that old... And he's sitting there laboring under that that burden. The guy said, uh, <clears throat> uh, you know, that wagon's empty. Why don't you put that back here in the wagon? He said, oh, no, I couldn't do that. He said, it was kind enough of you to stop and pick me up. I wouldn't have you loaded down with this burden. Now, I'll tell you why we didn't laugh louder. Because we saw ourselves. See? And 
how grievous it is to God when we are always holding His promises and His provisions in judgment of a finite mind and feelings that operate always on a sensual, fleshly level cannot do anything else. And we try to wait until all the all the truth about His person and all the truth about His promises and all the truth about His provisions have passed through all of our feeling filters and we can bring our feelings into agreement with it and then we're going to really believe. And if it happened that way, we would all have something to boast about. But there will not be any boasting. It's all free. And it's all already done. And it's, it just makes good sense when you get in that wagon to unload that burden. Faith is more than understanding the truth with conviction. Faith is the action of the will in agreement with the conviction. To believe is Conduct in accord with fact. Unbelief is conduct in accord with feeling, but contrary to fact. Look one more time at 1 Peter 3.18. 1 Peter 3.18 says... For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust. That's where Paul died with him at the cross. And every man who has ever died with him died with him at that cross once. That he might bring us to God. He did away with that which separated us from God, that he might bring us to God. He was raised from the dead and He ascended. And Hebrews calls it, He went through the heavens and opened up a new and living way to God for us, it says. His brother, His brethren. Opened up a way so that we could draw near to God. He did everything He did at Calvary. He baptizes us in the Holy Ghost that we might be brought to God. Don't rob God of what He wants. He didn't save you, redeem you, cleanse you, deal with your guilt, deal with everything that separated you from God, fill you with the Holy Ghost and power so that you could be a better painter or a better printer or a better money or a wage earner. None of that. It might happen. It'll be incidental. He did it that He could bring you to Himself. Brought to God, that He might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. The man under judgment has been removed in judgment and brought to God. All that stood against you has been cleared away so you could be brought to God. 
You and I were under the judgment of death. Christ bore our judgment. And in His death, the man under judgment was done away with. Never was resurrected. I do not believe on Christ and keep the man who was under judgment. That's passed away. Doesn't feel like it. But I have to bring feeling and subjection to fact. I'm reading you what God says. God got rid of the man under judgment at the cross, and He will not tolerate him in me. If I sin, I judge myself for reviving what God condemned. If I don't, He'll judge me for it. Because He loves me. The man who was under the judgment of God has been judicially, legally, rightly, justly terminated in the cross. And the man Christ Jesus was judicially, legally, rightly raised from the dead. Because He was holy and could not see corruption. Romans 5.18 Therefore, as by the offense of one judgment came upon all men to condemnation, even so by the righteousness of one the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. Operate by feeling. Let your faith be subject to feeling. You will never have any problem believing that The deeds of this flesh deserve condemnation. And by one man, the inevitability of moral depravity was brought into the human race. But feelings will never let you step up and believe that by one man, righteousness was brought and not only imputed, but imparted. Feelings reject that because feelings are proud. And if feelings don't get to earn that position, feelings don't want any part of it. It's too humbling to just be given a stand with God. In the cross you have passed from Adam... Christ. You have died with Him who died, and you are now raised with Him who is risen. Romans 6.11, Reckon ye also yourself to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Christ Jesus. Romans 8.2, The law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. Now, I live in the Spirit of the resurrected Christ, and my life is not in Adam. He was done away with. And I have to bring every thought into subjection to fact. And the the areas that I have problems called besetting sins. 
You know what makes them such a big problem? It's sins that I love. I love them. I love the way they make me feel. They satisfy me in my flesh. We read, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free. Romans 8.13, If ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. Mortify here was by one's translated, Take no notice of the flesh. Treat it like it's dead. Don't try to improve the flesh. Just walk in the Spirit. In the whale's belly, Jonah was alive. But he was under the will of another. I don't know if that's a good illustration or not. But it's true. The believer lives, yet not him, but he is under the will of another. And he is not coerced to be there. He is happy to be there. Walk in the Spirit of Christ, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Don't walk in the Spirit of Christ, and you will fulfill the lust of the flesh. Back to 1 Peter. Chapter 4, those two verses we read. For as much then as Christ hath suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind. He held nothing back, and neither can you. You're finished. At the cross, you're finished. And if you want to keep that guy alive, you're gonna you're going to live. The Christian life under obligation and not under joy. It's the trouble with so many adoptions. So many adopted children feel loved because the parents are obligated by a document. The parents have never got across to that child the joy that it's so easy for a birth parent to get across the child because the child got daddy's eyes or got mother's nose or you know reminds me of grandpa or whatever and the joy is obvious you keep that old man alive and you've got enough peer pressure around here to keep you in church you got enough bible to keep you Knowing what you should do and supposed to do and ought to do. And you'll be here and you'll smile, you'll sing the songs, you'll sway with the music, but you're under obligation. Because it's the only way that old man operates. Because he's looking for significance. He will not Agree with the fact that He's finished. Christ now lives in me. Arm yourself likewise with the same mind. For he that hath suffered in the flesh hath ceased from sin, 
that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh to the lusts of men, but to the will of God. I want to read you some things on will. And I, I'm not going to read, I mean, this isn't paid, you know, these pages aren't full. And even what's on there, I've just got some of it underlined. This is out of Hannah Whitehall Smith's uh, God is Enough. We must put our will into our believing. Hallelujah. Tozer says the modern church believes everything and obeys nothing at all. Believe everything. He used the word ardently. The modern church says, Amen! Preach it, brother! Hallelujah! Ha, ha! You know, and obeys nothing at all. Just walks out in Adam every time they walk out the door. You must, you must put your will into your believing, she says. Your faith must not be a passive imbecile, but an active energy. All things are possible to God. That's not possible to flesh. All things are possible to God. All things are possible also to him who believes. Mark 9.23 Why? Because I'm believing with the faith of Adam? No. Adam's dead. The life I now live, I live by the faith of God. All things are possible with God. Fenelon says that Pure religion resides in the will alone. By the will, he says, I do not mean the wish of the man or even his intention. But I mean the deliberate choice, the deciding power, the king to which all that is in man must yield obedience. The will. To many, the emotions or feelings are the governing power in the nature. I would have said to most. But there is within us, behind our emotions and behind our wishes and behind our intentions, an independent self that decides everything and controls everything. Our emotions belong to us, but they are not us. If God is to take possession of us, it must be into this central will or personality that He enters. If then... He is reigning there by the power of His Spirit. All the rest of our nature will come under His sway. The decisions of our will are often so directly opposed to the decisions of our emotions. Get clicked in right here if you got unclicked someplace. Because this is something that we all need to hear. The decisions of our will are so often direct... Are the decisions of our will are often so directly opposed to the decisions of our emotions that if we are in the habit of considering our emotions as the test, we will be very apt to feel like hypocrites in declaring those things to be real which our will alone has decided apart from our feelings. But the moment we see that the will is king, we will utterly disregard 
anything that clamors against the will and will claim as real its decisions and let the emotions rebel as they may. Back to Miss Smith. Stop considering your emotions and simply regard your will. Is your will given up to God? Does your will decide to believe? Does your will choose to obey? If this is the case, then you are in the Lord's hands totally. You decide to believe and you choose to obey. And your will is yourself, not your feelings. Your life with God is as real when only your will acts as when every emotion coincides. It does not seem as real to you, but in God's sight, it is as real. When you have discovered that you need not give in to your emotions, but simply to the state of your will, obeying the Scripture's commands to yield yourself to God, abiding in Christ, walking in the light, all that God requires is possible in you in Christ. If any man will do his will, John 7, 17. If any man will do his will, he shall know experientially the truth of Scripture. John three twenty one. He that doeth the truth will come to the light. Psalms 111, verse 10. A great understanding have they who do the will of God. The important thing in your experience is not the verdict of your emotions, but it is the decision of your will. You are far more in danger of hypocrisy in yielding to the assertions of your feelings than in holding fast to the decision of your will. If your will is on God's side, you are no hypocrite, even though... Your emotions may declare the contrary. It is not one's feelings that God wants. It is His will. You cannot perhaps hinder the suggestions of doubt from coming to you any more than you can hinder someone in the street from swearing at you when you go by. Consequently, you're not sinning in the one case any more than in the other. Just as you can refuse to listen to them or join in to their oaths, so can you also refuse to listen to the doubt that's coming from your feelings and emotions. You can refuse to join in with them and agree with them. They are not your doubts until you consent to them and acknowledge them as true. Make your decisions based on God's faithfulness, not yours. And never again admit the possibility of his being unfaithful. Cultivate a continuous habit of believing, and sooner or later all of your doubts will vanish in the glory of the absolute faithfulness of God. Stand with me. Hallelujah, thine the glory. Hallelujah, amen. Hallelujah, thine.
shine the glory. Revive us again. Praise God. Praise God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Could we put that Yes, I Know song up and come and sing with me? And uh, we started off with this song. We've heard the Word of God. Now let's sing it again. And let's, it ought to be truer at the end of this than it was at the first of this. What a great truth this is. Let's sing it together. And it's yours. Mm-hmm. 